Welcome back to Bible Time, Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This comes in the midst of Paul's exhortation by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then he says the text that we read this morning Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, the wrath of God is a very serious subject. Um, Pastor Reggie preached on that Sunday morning over at Liberty Faith Bible Church, and um, it's something that needs preached on more. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We'll study that out more when we get there. It says, In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, before we get any further in this, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would open these scriptures to our understanding. Lord, give us an understanding of how you see sin, so that we can align our hearts with your heart, Father. Please give us a spirit of repentance in any area that we are not right with you, Father. And Lord, if there's any that will listen to this or any here in this room, Lord, that are lost, I pray that you would touch them today with the convicting power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and begin that work of drawing them to yourself. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So mortify. To mortify means to put to death. A mortician is somebody who works on dead people. Who wants that job? They work on dead people all day, every day. They try and make them look nice and put nice clothes on them so that they can put them in a coffin. And that's what they get paid to do their whole life. They go every day, five days, six days a week, maybe seven days a week sometimes. They work on dead people. They have big buildings full of cooler rooms where they can bring in the dead people to keep them nice and cool. And they go in there and clean them up and dress them. And uh, it's a very macabre job to have. In the old times in America, the family would take care of their own dead. In the Bible times, that's what they did. The family took care of their own dead. Honestly, sometimes um, the wealth of this nation lends itself to some really weird and kind of disgusting practices like having morticians. And if you're a mortician, I don't mean that to be an offense to you in any way. But in the old days, if somebody died, the family would take care of the body. They would clean the body. They would dress the body. They would put the body in a coffin. They would dig a hole and they would put the coffin in the ground and the family would take care of it. That's what um, Lazarus's sisters were part of. When Jesus died, Mary Magdalene went with um, spices early on the third day to go and do more of, the, of that um, work of, of preparing the body. And it was part of the grieving process, and in a way, very healthy part of the grieving process. It made death very real to people, but it also allowed them the opportunity to grieve and get it over with. 
America has this thing, and it's not just America, other places as well, but America has this thing with um, almost trying to make idols out of dead people. When somebody dies, we suddenly start saying everything good that they ever did, and we ignore everything bad that they ever did, and we write big flowing eulogies and um, try and puff up the person that died and then we have all of our memorials and we'll put fresh flowers out and stuff and there's nothing wrong with doing some of that but we take it to an extreme sometimes very often and we never actually confront or face the idea of death now mortify means to put to death mortify means to lay in the grave to to lay to put it where it belongs in the grave. So here, the Holy Ghost of God, God himself speaking through his instrument, Paul, says, mortify your members which are upon the earth. Mortify your members. That means put to death. The your speaks of the ye in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The members there are the physical parts of our body, our hands, our feet, our eyes, and the these members, he says, which are upon the earth, emphasizes the fact that this is talking about your actual physical members. It's talking about your fingers, your toes, your eyes, your hands, your lips, your nose. He says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. So if ye are risen, if ye then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above. If ye then be risen with Christ, ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, you have this hope of Christ appearing and then he, when he appears, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. If ye then be risen with Christ, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Romans 6 and verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And there it gives us mortal body. Again, the Bible is a self-defining book. The Bible is very clear. And whenever you speak to somebody... Anywhere in this world, when you speak to somebody, we have some basic rules of interpretation that we follow when we speak to people. First of all, when someone says something, the basic rule of interpretation is that you take them literally until they give you reason to believe that they're speaking in some other sense. You never spiritualize what anybody says until they tell you that they're being spiritual. You never make analogies out of what they say. If your mom says, go clean your room, you don't say, well, I understand that in the spiritual sense to mean that I need to keep my heart clean and then walk away and leave your room dirty. Who does that? And what mom is happy with a child that does that? Not a mother out there. Now, if you wouldn't do that with somebody walking down the street or your own mother, why in God's name would you do it with God's word? When God tells you something, he means it. And when God wants to tell you something spiritual that it applies to the spirit, he tells you that he's talking about the spirit. The Bible defines the Bible. The Bible gives its own tenses. The Bible gives its own frame of reference. The Bible gives its own context. The Bible gives its own definitions. 
If you want to know what a word means, the cheap and easy way to do it is to pull out a dictionary. Anybody can do that, and you'll get pretty close. But sometimes the dictionary doesn't use a word the same way the Bible does. The best way to understand a word in the Bible is to find all the other places in the Bible that the word is used and see how God uses it. Look carefully and closely at the context. Look at the verses above. Look at the verses below. Look at all the other verses that deal with that topic. Look at the other verses that use that word, and you'll get a good understanding of the word and what it means in the Bible. And you can do that without any Hebrew, without any Greek, without any commentaries, just you and your Bible, just spending time with God. It takes a lot of time. Doing Understanding the Bible that way takes a lot of time in the Bible, and that's why people don't like it. Some kind of theologian can get out a Hebrew-Greek study aid. He can get out some book on a Greek commentary, and he can read a few things, and he can jot down a few notes, a few things other people said, and sound pretty smart in a few seconds. He can take just a couple minutes and get what appears to be hours worth of study out of other people's writings and other people's efforts. But if you really want to know what God said, and you really want to know what God means by what he says, you're going to have to, you personally, individually, you, I'm talking to you right there, you are going to have to get in the Bible. And you right there, you're going to have to get in the word of God and read it if you want to know what the word of God says. And what it means, you're going to have to spend time in the Word of God and write down cross-references and check different verses against each other. By the way, that's about all we do in Bible time. 99% of what we do here is just Bible verses compared with Bible verses. It's really not anything that you can't do yourself. Now, hopefully it'll be a blessing to you, but you really don't need this podcast if you just get your Bible and get in it and spend hours in it. And if you can, spend hours in it every single day. If you can't spend hours every single day, do your best to spend at least an hour in it every single day if possible. Spend as much time in the Word of God as you can. That's what you need more than anything else. Sometimes podcasts can be helpful. Sometimes you're driving and you can't look at a book. You can't follow along. Sometimes it helps to hear what other people, how other people compare Scripture with Scripture can be helpful. Sometimes I hope this will be helpful to you. But again, all you need is the Bible and the Holy Spirit of God and a heart to know the Word of God. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and you're not going to receive spiritual truth until you're saved. Now, that being said, Romans 6 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it, and the lust thereof. So there he speaks again of the mortal body. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The inference of these two verses that we've looked at is that you can let sin reign. The inference therefore is that not only can you let sin reign, but if you're going to mortify the body, it takes effort because the Apostle Paul, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, commanded you to do it. So there's part of this that is your responsibility. Now, there's a lot of people out here that don't believe in any kind of responsibility of man. They call themselves Calvinists. As far as I can tell in my limited study into Calvin, I don't know much about him. Uh, But I can tell you this, as far as I can tell, what most people call Calvinism is too Calvinist for Calvin. 
Now, if you don't think that there's any responsibility in man, you're probably not saved because God has given you a responsibility. There's a responsibility in the matter. You don't just wake up saved one day. There's part that you have to play in it. You say, well, salvation is by grace, not of works. I agree. The Bible says believe. And you say, well, if believing has any part in man, then that's a work that man does. Boy, are we running rabbits today. Lord, help me. You say that if if you believe, if you have to do anything to believe, then you're working. God said believe, and God said salvation is by faith, by grace, not of works. So God defines the terms, which is what we were starting out talking about. God defines the terms, not you. You don't get you don't have the right to redefine God's terms. When God says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, God means you believe. You put your faith, you put your trust. You you receive as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God you don't just sit there on your duff waiting on God to say some kind of words from heaven that tells you that you're saved you get in the word of God you seek God's face you seek him with all your heart and you will find him he says ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be opened unto you there is a flee from the wrath to come in the Bible there is man's responsibility laced all through the scriptures and if you get off on this tangent where you think that you're just some kind of voodoo doll that God is manipulating in heaven he's manipulating something and you just wiggle when God makes you wiggle you have carved out a false God and a false Jesus and a false gospel and you're off the deep end somewhere Now, over here in Romans 6, this does not negate God's sovereignty, but in fact, it it actually enhances our understanding of God's sovereignty, that a sovereign God that could make you do whatever he wanted to do, instead made you with a mind, a will, and emotions, and the responsibility to act on what he commands you to do. And that sovereign God is no less sovereign whenever you don't do what he says, In fact, he'll prove his sovereignty when he judges you for your sin. See, God's sovereignty is a whole lot bigger than some kind of robotic um, Borg out there, for lack of a better word. A garbagey TV series I wish I didn't even know anything about. It's a bunch of trash. Now, Romans 6 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Now look at verse 11. It's in Romans here, chapter 6. Likewise reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reckoning of verse 11 is the mindset. The let not of verse 12 is the commandment. And this just means just don't. Nike, the shoe company, has a saying, just do it. Well, when it comes to sin, God says, just don't, equivalent of. He says, let not, let not sin therefore reign. Neither yield your members as instruments of right unrighteousness unto sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. What then? Shall we sin? God forbid. I know I'm taking chunks out of this. Read the whole thing in its context. Romans 6, 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Colossians 3, 3 told us, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Romans 6, 8 says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm going to give you a shortcut right here if you want to just tune me out, just shut the thing off, go get your Bible and read, and you'll get further probably than even listening to this, is just study Colossians 3 in in direct cross-reference with Romans 6, Ephesians 5, and 1 Thessalonians 4. So those are the four passages that, especially you here in this room, I want you to get those four passages. If you don't write down anything else today, write down Romans 6, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'll say that again for you so that you can pick it up as we go along. Get those four chapters, study them together, and look at them. Now, Romans here in chapter 6, he says, Let not therefore sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, this alive from the dead is also references to Ephesians 2. We've studied this. I believe we called that series Dead Men Walking, part 1 and part 2. Maybe it was The Walking Dead, part 1 and part 2. And by Bible time when we studied there in Colossians, uh, where Colossians 3 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. Now, the I, I encourage you to go back and look that up. The, the deadness here that he's speaking about, this dead in sins, was what we were. Now, God wants us to be dead to sins. There should be a direct flop a flip-flop, you a 180 turn. You go from being dead to righteousness in sins to being dead to sins in righteousness. That's what salvation is. That's what God's purpose of salvation is. Jesus Christ did not come to save you from hell. Leonard Ravenhill said it this way. He said that, and Lord help me, name dropping is so dangerous because people do it to try and give you all kinds of impressions. I, you know, praise God for the man and his desire and his burden and his zeal. And he's been a help to me. I thank the Lord for him. But he said that um, getting saved from hell is a fringe benefit of salvation. And I like that. He says it's a fringe benefit. Jesus came to save us from our sins, not to save us from our hell. That salvation from hell is a fringe benefit of salvation. It's a, it is a result of the salvation of your sins because a just holy God cannot do anything with sin except judge it. And the wages of sin is death and sin, death and hell, and all those that go to hell for their sins will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. God has nothing else that he can or will or should do with sin and with sinners, but to damn them to an eternal hell forever for their sins. But by the same token of God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's justice, there is nothing that God can do with a righteous person but take them to heaven. There is nothing that God can do with a justified, sanctified, purified, washed in the blood of Jesus, saved, born again Christian than to take them to heaven. 
He cannot cast them into hell. He cannot forsake them. He cannot leave them. It is completely contrary to the nature of God because God is holy and God is just. And this is the security of the believer is in the nature and the holiness and the justice of God. That once sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is nothing but heaven that can possibly be done to that Christian. God cannot forsake them. He cannot cast them off. It would make him a liar. He'd be contrary to his word. He would cease to be just. And by the same justice that would cause God to cast ungodly sinners into hell, and he will, the same justice demands that a righteous Christian who has been born again by the power of God, by receiving Jesus Christ as his Savior, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, not of works, a gift of God, lest any man should boast. The same justice that casts sinners into hell brings the righteous into heaven for all of eternity. Now sin, the Bible says in Romans 6, 14, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now this verse is usually only quoted in its second part. You are not under the law, but under grace. And this is almost a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, almost tattooed on the chest of every liberal Christian in America. This is one of the only phrases they know out of the Bible. This and thou and judge not are about the only two verses they need. And then uh, Pastor Ed said the other day, um, that prosper and be in health verse, that one's the one a lot of people know too. But here they'll say, you are not under the law but under grace, but they leave off the first part. We dealt with this um, just uh, just the other day, the words of the living God, ways that Satan perverts and twists and rests the scriptures. And one of the ways that he does it is by leaving off the context. And this is one of them. He's left off for sin shall not have dominion over you. And this in the direct context of let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In the direct context of what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. All through this chapter and all through this Bible, there's a call to holiness, a call to separation. And our verse in Colossians, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. (coughs) He says there to mortify in Colossians. Now, grace is is liberty from sin unto holiness unto the Lord. People say, I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace, and use it as an excuse for sinning. Well, grace is actually the power and the desire to live a holy and pure life in obedience to the commands of Christ. Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness, we should live soberly and holy in this present world. Look it up in Titus. Now, you were dead in trespasses and sins, dead to all good and servants of sin. Now God has called you, if ye be in Christ Jesus, to die to sin and live unto God, live unto holiness as servants to God. 
Now, sin is the transgression of God's law. If we're going to understand what this means to be separate, to let not sin reign in our mortal bodies, to neither yield our members instruments of sin and unrighteousness unto sin, then we need to understand what sin is. And therefore, Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, gives us five things here. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The first two things deal with sins committed in the flesh. The other three things deal with sins committed in the soul. And we're going to dive into these sins of the flesh here today. And that's probably as far as we're going to get. So here in Colossians 3, 5, he begins with fornication. Now, fornication is engaging in sexual intercourse outside the confines of God-given marriage. This is speaking of the marriage, as some people would say, act. And I intentionally use that phrase because we'll look, we'll bring that back later um, in just a little bit. The marriage act. The Bible says Adam knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth a son called his name Cain. Now, I didn't quote that exactly right. You can look it up there in Genesis 3. I believe it's Genesis 3 and get the word perfect, perfectly preserved, perfectly inspired, perfectly preserved word of God on it. So this act of the man and the woman coming together that results in conception and the bringing forth of children and less tampered with. Listen to me, you using birth birth control does not make what you are doing right. The sin is not conception. Conception is a gift from a holy God. It's called the grace of life in the Bible. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. God told the God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah when he got off the ark, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Conception is a beautiful and wonderful gift from God. This world has turned the sin of fornication. They've turned away from that and accepted the sin of fornication and rejected the blessing of conception. So the world puts the 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 moral the moral impetus against conception. And they basically teach that if you can get away with that without getting pregnant, or if you can slaughter your unborn child so that you don't have to raise it, that somehow you are morally pure, which is absolutely reprobate and backwards from God's way. Fornication is the act that aside from any kind of physical limitations or tampering with the body or tampering with the seed, abortifacients, other kinds of block Aids and trying to struggling here to say this in a way that's discreet, but at the same time clear and plain. So any kind of condoms or any kind of blockage, any kind of thing that you're using to stop it, if you weren't using that, you could get pregnant. If that is the case and you're doing it outside the confines of God-given marriage, it's fornication. Now, God defines marriage, and in order to understand fornication, you've got to understand marriage because the one is the opposite of the other. Go quickly to Genesis chapter 2. We'll go through this as quickly as we can and get back on our text. We've got a lot to do today. We can't stay here all day. I thank God for the message he's given, though. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Maybe we'll study this out better someday, but boy, if you want to know how to get a, a wife from God, this is it. Just go to sleep 
to your desires, yield them to God, fall in love with God, serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, men and women. And by the way, that's all there is, is men and women. We'll see that right here in this text. God God said that. God's the one that defines male and female, not the sodomites. Just because they're different doesn't mean they're right. God is right, and if they're different from what God says is right, they're wrong, and they are different, and they are wrong, because God says that they're wrong. It's sin and abomination, all that junk is. Now, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, so young men, young ladies, fall asleep to the desire. Let it rest. Just let it go to sleep, and just serve God with all your heart, and if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, one day, God... If it's God's will for you to be married, all of a sudden he'll wake you up and boy, will you wake up. Look at what happens here. It says, Adam, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. We can't preach on this right now, but I'll tell you this. If you will go to sleep to your desires and serve God with all your heart, when God brings you your spouse... It will be the spouse that God created for you, that he knew before he formed in the womb, that he created with the exact temperament and personality and desires and calling and direction in life that you need. It's the only way to get the perfect one. If you want, this is, this is the way. Any other way you try, you'll get up, you'll probably end up with second, third, fourth, or maybe like Solomon thousandth from best. Now he says here, God made the woman and he brought her, he made a woman, a woman, one, a woman and brought her unto the man, one man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now you don't need to get any more descriptive than that. If you can't figure that out, then I don't know how to help you. And you don't need a biology book to teach you it either. You don't need any kind of stinking sex education in the schools. You just go to sleep to those desires. When God brings you your spouse, then whenever you come together in that holy covenant of marriage, the light bulb will come on and you won't need a textbook. You leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife and you'll be one flesh. And it says here, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And this is marriage. This is God's plan for marriage. This is the only place, uh, the only thing in the Bible and the only place in the Bible that you will find nakedness given without shame. Everywhere else in the Bible, nakedness results in sin and it results in shame. Nakedness is reserved for the man and his wife. Now, if that makes you blush, I'm sorry, but that's Bible. Now, in Genesis 2.21, we have the first marriage, and it was officiated by God. You can imagine something like this. Who gives this woman to this man? And then God answers, the Lord God, the Almighty, the I Am. And he gave one woman to one man. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. Let's go to the New Testament. Look at Mark 10. Mark chapter 10. 
If we just get back to the Bible, it would fix all the problems, every single problem that there is in this country. Our problems are because of sin. Mark 10, and he arose from thence. This is Jesus Christ who arose here, not from the grave, but from the place he was teaching there in Mark 9. And he arose from thence. And by the way, just for the sake of all you doubters out there, Christ did arose. He is arisen from the grave. Praise the Lord. But here he arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and, and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. Now that that is a key scripture for understanding the law in the Old Testament here. But we're moving on. We don't have time for that. But for verse 6, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man, a man, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain, two, one man, one woman, they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in his house, in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. Now we're not talking about adultery here today, but that is the clearest passage of scripture on the subject. Jesus Christ absolutely put it in black and white for us there. But here Jesus said, The man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And then he speaks of God joining them together. Any kind of physical joining together that could possibly result in conception of of a child is is reserved by God for a holy marriage. Now, The marriage covenant itself is holy, a God-honored covenant. You can get a marriage license and not be married because God instituted marriage, not the state. Just because you go get a piece of paper doesn't mean you are married. The marriage covenant, the old-timers knew this. They would say, we can't get married. We don't have a parson. We don't have a preacher. We don't have a vicar. We don't have a bishop. Whatever they would say from whatever group, whatever denomination, they would say, we've got to have a preacher to get married. Why? Because the preacher stands up there in the place as a representative, an ambassador of God Almighty. That's why you should have a preacher at your wedding. And by the way, that's why it better be a man, a male preacher, because God is male, whether you like it or not. He is God. Jesus is a man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. You get some kind of woman preacher standing up there and you have a perverted marriage and you should go and get it redone. Now, some people are going to try and take this and twist it, but I'm just telling you the truth according to the word of God. You can get a marriage license and not be married. You can have some kind of pagan wedding and not be married. You need to be married before God Almighty. If you haven't been, you should get you should get remarried to your spouse. 
You should have a whole new wedding ceremony. Get a God-honoring, Bible-believing pastor to get up there with a Bible and make your covenant before Almighty God. By the way, without the covenant with Almighty God, it's not a marriage. It doesn't matter if you have bridesmaids. It doesn't matter if you get up and have some kind of ceremony and light a unity candle. It doesn't matter if you get together with a bunch of your friends on the beach and have a bunch of those little lamp things out there stuck in the sand and pretend like you're going through some kind of motions and say some kind of little vow to each other. If it's not before God Almighty, then it is a perversion of marriage. If you are living in such a state, don't leave her. Just get it done right. Lord, help us today. By the way, common law doesn't add up in God's book. You will not find common law in the Bible. You shacking up, no matter how long you do it, does not make you married. Listen, if I'm not right about this, what is right? What's your standard? Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? What makes a person married? How is anybody married? Who's married? Who's not married? Can a dog get married to a dog? Well, our country thinks so. The Supreme Court has ruled that way, which, by the way, that is a Bible term for a sodomite, is a dog. The Bible says, beware of dogs. Now, if you think a dog can marry a dog, then you're messed up. You've got all kinds of mistakes in your mind, all kinds of perversions in your mind. God instituted marriage, not the state. God's ways are not our ways. Now, this is very important because our churches and our nation is overrun with fornication. And we've got a problem in this nation. Russia even sees it, as perverted as Russia is. Russia even sees the ludicrous mess that's happening in this nation over sodomy. The ludicrous, idiotic stupid mess that's happening, the perversion, the abomination, the filth, the destruction, the breakdown of justice, the breakdown of culture is all related to sodomy. But sodomy doesn't start in the closet. It starts in the perverted marriage bed. And the marriage bed has been perverted in this nation for decades and almost a century. The marriage bed has been absolutely perverted. And we're going to look at that, Lord willing, as quickly as we can. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that the church at Corinth had fornication. And it was such fornication as was not even named among the Gentiles that a man should have his father's wife. And Paul instructed by the inspiration, by the direct command of the Holy Spirit of God to turn over that fornicating so-called believer to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Someone who is living in fornication and names the name of Christ according to the scriptures should be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, I ha- we actually have a book about that. We're getting our website launched, steministries.com, and you can go on there, and uh, Lord willing, we'll have that up by the end of day today, at least by the end of the week. We'll have a book up there, The Unrecognized Blessing of Church Judgment, that deals with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I hope you'll get it and read it. We'll try and make it as affordable as we can. Now, the um, Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5 real quick. Quickly, quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. And you might hold, hold your place there or have a pen there because we're going to go there a couple times. Ephesians 5 and verse 3. 
But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. And we'll go on, we'll read more on that later. It, look at verse 5. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Go to First Thessalonians quickly. First Thessalonians 4. Again, the four main passages here today. Colossians chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Study them out. We also looked at Genesis 2 and Mark chapter 10 to get um, on the marriage discussion. 1 Corinthians 5 to deals with fornication as well and is a, is a necessary cross-reference study for this topic. So 1 Thessalonians, it's hard to find your Bible place while you're trying to preach or teach at the same time. Um, struggling here. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Lord, help us. We are um, going to really struggle to get all this in today. We've still got some time, so we'll keep trucking. Lord, help us today. So in Colossians, remember, it said, If, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If ye then be risen with Christ, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, top on the list, mortify, put it to death. Kill it. Put it dead. Lay it down. Stop following after it. Fornication and uncleanness are the two of the five that are done in the flesh. Now there's two parts to that if in Colossians 3. One, number one, if you are, if you then be risen with Christ, then he is saying this. The reason he's saying if then mortify is because that Christians can commit these sins after they're saved. So he's calling on these Christians to mortify to take responsibility for their flesh and bring it under, sub, under subjection to God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this by your own strength. By the way, if you in your own strength manage to mortify the deeds of your flesh, if you in your own strength manage to do it very long, what will actually end up happening is your flesh will get stronger as you fast, as you fight, as you try to do the right thing, as you go and get your accountability partners and you put your index cards with special verses up that you're going to memorize and you do your 17 steps to freedom and your five steps to freedom and you do all these things. If you're doing it in your flesh, your flesh will get progressively stronger. And ask me how I know. I've been there, done that, tried it, got the battle scars, got, got the bad memories from it. The harder you try to be holy in your flesh, the stronger your flesh will get. Ecclesiastes says, be not overmuch righteous. Be not overmuch wicked. What's he, this is what he's talking about. Be not overmuch righteous. If you do it in your flesh, your flesh will get stronger. And the stronger your flesh gets, let me tell you something, the worse it's going to be when you finally blow out. 
because your flesh will be dominating your life. And when your flesh finally gets lit on fire by a dirty movie, by a a, a licentious woman, by a lustful advertisement, and you finally get hit right between the eyes, or better yet, below the belt where it counts, and you finally get hit, you will be overrun and destroyed because your flesh is what you've been living on and you will blow out like old dynamite that's sweating that nitroglycerin's running down the outside you've been holding it together for all these times you're enduring to the end you're gonna make it by your works and then finally that fuse gets lit and watch out baby The explosion is going to look like Mount St. Helens. The holier you are in your flesh, the more wicked and perverted and debauched you are going to be when you blow out. There's nothing more dangerous than fleshly holiness. It will take you deeper than the guy that just forgets it and runs off in sins and doesn't try to play Christian. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't try to be holy? Absolutely not. But that means you better fall on your face before a thrice holy God and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I can't do it. God, please fill me with your spirit and give me power and victory over this body of flesh. That's, we've been, I can't, I can't teach it. I wish I could teach it better. God's going to have to show you. I hope you get it before you blow out. God have mercy on us. So fornication here, we have taught this, by the way. That's the whole dying with Christ, being risen with Christ. We have 21 messages so far up on the internet, and most of them deal with the Spirit of God being necessary for you to live any kind of holy life. It cannot be done in your flesh. Now, that dealt with fornication. We can, Lord willing, move on to uncleanness so colossians chapter 3 um, verse 5 says mortify therefore your members mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication uncleanness inordinate affection evil concupiscence and covetousness which is idolatry now here this is a progression from the most vile and open manifestations of sin to the most subtle inner heart causes of sin and root causes so he goes from fornication all the way down to covetousness he starts with the outward manifestation the forest fire and he moves all the way down to the careless match that's tossed or the careless cigarette that's tossed in the leaves so uh, we're just going to go the way the bible doesn't follow his order and uncleanness so whereas fornication deals with the marriage act Uncleanness deals with all other extramarital sexuality. Fondling, groping, petting. The whole book of Leviticus is teaching between clean and unclean. The whole purpose of it. Uncleanness can be in thoughts, words, and deeds. We've got our ABC here. Thoughts is A, words is B, and C is Ds. And we'll run through these things real quick. Lord willing and be done. Leviticus 11.44. Go ahead and go to Leviticus 11. Now Leviticus. 11 is dealing specifically with clean and unclean animals for eating and we have to we do not have time to get into it right now we have taught on it before we will teach on it again but cleanness and uncleanness in the bible 
Cleanness and uncleanness in the Bible to the Jews had extra rules that were added in that were ceremonial and dietary rules that were done away at the cross of Calvary. And they are not in effect for the Gentile. Read Acts chapter 15. We don't have time to get into this right now, but that's just a fact. If you don't like it, I'm sorry you don't like the Bible. Um, So Leviticus chapter 11. The concept here is all through Leviticus. This is just one of the most clear verses where God states this. Go to verse 44. He says, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. That means to separate yourselves. The New Testament says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Avoid all appearance of evil. So he says, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves and ye shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner. And he goes on of creeping thing and speaking about those animals. But if you read on through Leviticus, he deals with moral impurity as well. Now, um, in first Peter, lest you think that this is purely Old Testament, if it was, it would still be profitable for doctrine, for approof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. But first Peter says, be ye therefore holy as I am holy. He said, and he says, as it is written, I'm going to go ahead and turn there and get that verse verbatim. First Peter chapter one, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. All manner of conversation means your entire walk of life, what you buy, where you go, what you watch, what you listen to, what you smell, what you talk about, what you hear, what you listen to, what you feel, what you think. In all manner of conversation, as he which is, hath called you is holy, as God himself is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You cannot do that in the flesh. You will never be as holy as God in the flesh. You have one hope. You must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ through salvation, and you must be imparted the practical daily life of Christ through the sanctification of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You're indwelt at salvation, but you are infilled on a daily basis as you surrender. Just as Romans 6 says, neither yield your members instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. But yield yourselves unto God. So um, here, uncleanness, this idea of uncleanness is, is the idea of a difference that must be put between the clean and the unclean. So A, the Bible talks of lusts of uncleanness. These are uncleanness of thoughts. Go to Matthew five twenty seven quickly. We're trying to get as much in here as we possibly can. Matthew five twenty seven. Here Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So here is heart adultery. Now it's obvious that physical adultery is worse than heart adultery. You see, all sin is equally damning, but all sin is not equal. Neither the final judgment nor the consequences for sin sin in this life are equal. 
All sins are not equal in their practicality, though all sins are equally damning. It only takes one sin to send a sinner to hell. But a man that sins a thousand gross immoral sins will be riddled with AIDS and all all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases and all kinds of problems in his body that a man who has only ever committed adultery in his heart will not have, though they will both go to hell apart from repentance and turning to Jesus Christ for salvation. The Bible says in Psalms 101, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Go there. Psalms 101. This is a a wonderful psalm to memorize and to meditate on or to make a plaque of and hang it up in your house. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing mercy and judgment. We don't have time, but wow. Praise the Lord. I will behave myself in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Now, let me ask you something. If you made a plaque of this, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And you studied out everything in the Bible that God says was wicked. And you put this plaque on top of your TV. I wonder how many of those TV shows you would actually watch. I have a feeling, and I believe it's right, that by the time you study out what the Bible calls wicked, and by the time you put that plaque over your TV and actually purpose this in your heart, it wouldn't be very long before you'd be staring at a black screen every day. And it wouldn't be long after that before the TV would just kind of edge itself out of your life. Because there's nothing on that stinking tube. It's not even a tube anymore. But there's nothing on that stupid box that isn't full of wicked things that are being set before your eyes and the works of the wicked that he says will not cleave unto me that you are filling your house and your heart with. That's uncleanness. God has called us to cleanness. We're not to think unclean thoughts. We'll be judged for every idle word and every idle thought, the Bible says. Now there's uncleanness in the thoughts and then there's uncleanness in our words. The Bible says in Colossians 3.8 to put off filthy communication. Go to Ephesians 5 quickly. I need a drink of water, someone. You grab me one real quick. Ephesians 5. All the way over there on the counter there. Apple cider vinegar in it right there by your hand. Helps my throat. All right. Ephesians 5. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you, not once named among you, as become as saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, filthiness is uncleanness. He already said uncleanness. Now he says filthiness, and they're related. There's obviously a difference, or he wouldn't have said it different. But I didn't study that out. We're not looking into that right now. He says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. He's not talking about enjoying an innocent and holy laugh. The Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. He's talking about dirty jokes. He says here, foolishness, 
filthy, he says, filthiness, foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And he goes on and says, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And look at verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now, if you're sitting there at home, you're listening to some comedian and he's spewing filthy jokes, you're living in sin. It's uncleanness. It's sin. God says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Yeah, you like it. I understand that. That's why there's a death involved. That's why a mortician has to be involved. You have to lay it to rest. You have to kill it dead. Let it die with Christ by an act of faith in God. You're playing video games with uh, women showing their nakedness, showing their legs and their breasts and everything else. You're into uncleanness. You're looking at pornography. You're looking at dirty pictures. It's uncleanness. It's uncleanness about all that sorcery and garbage. It's uncleanness. It's uncleanness. You listen to music full of drinking and shacking up and all this. It's uncleanness. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness. He's saying to mortify. So there's more, there's the uncleanness of the thoughts. There's uncleanness of words, things coming out of your mouth, foolish talking and jesting. Back in Psalm 101, he deals with some of that, talking about the froward and the deceitful and the slanderers, if I remember right. He gives us that. I'm going to turn there real quick. Go to Psalm 101 again. I meant to hold the place there. It says, A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, shall him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Hey, did you hear what happened to that guy down the street? Hey, did you hear about the preacher? Hey, did you hear about that person in church? I heard they did this. I heard they did. I heard his, I heard that guy's son is into this kind of sin. I heard that lady did that. Oh, did you hear about this? Gossip, Slander, evil speaking, malice, blasphemy, all these things are uncleanness. But more than that, the biggest part of it that it's dealing with is the sensuality. There are things you ought not talk about. There are things you ought not say. It's hard to even preach on this because of that. Because there are so many things that ought not be said. Now we're living in a day and age where anything goes and anybody can say anything that they want. We have perverted freedom of speech. Our founding fathers did not let anybody go out and spew filth. In fact, Margaret Sanger, who is lauded as a hero in this country today by the liberal left, is a wicked, filthy, sick, pervert of a woman who ran from this nation and had to take refuge in England because her publications were considered pornographic. She's a wicked pervert, and by the way, the epitome of racist, and every liberal Marxist woman out there, feminazi, feminist out there, including Pelosi and the whole bunch, will uphold women like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Nancy Pelosi, and they were filthy racists. Get this, Margaret Sanger was, you can look it up, she wanted every black person and every Asian person to be put to death. 
And she, she actually preached genocide against Africans and against Asians. And now she's held up by these so-called women's rights activists, so-called anti-racist people marching for their social justice that are trying to call anybody that has any kind of sense of moral decency, they try and call them an, a racist and an extremist. They're a bunch of stinking hypocrites and a bunch of liars. Now that Margaret Sanger, she had a filthy mouth and she had filthy ideas and filthy ideas. Now we have unclean thoughts, we have unclean words, and we have unclean deeds and we'll close. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in the lust of concupiscence. Now what on earth is the lust of concupiscence? Concupiscence is different from the idea of just desiring something that's wicked it's desiring the wickedness. It's like this. If a little boy, like I once was and like I once did, wants that cookie. Nothing wrong necessarily with the cookie. And he goes and takes that cookie without permission. He's doing something that is sin, but he doesn't know it's sin. Now mom comes in and says, you can't have that cookie. And now that little boy looks at that cookie and the more he looks at it and the more he wants it, and we'll deal with it when we get into the sins of the soul with inordinate affections and stuff like that. He's looking at that cookie. He wants that cookie. And then all of a sudden, he starts wanting to steal the cookie and formulating a plan to steal the cookie. Like Amnon, who had evil desires for his sister. Lord willing, we'll touch on this next Bible time whenever we deal with inordinate affections and evil concupiscence and covetousness. But that can, and, oh, are we getting ahead of ourselves? But anyway, that concupiscence, he came to a point where he desired to sin. And we'll just have to leave that and we'll get back to it. And that is a powerful truth to understand. Once you get that, you, it will free you from some things that hold you in bondage. So this burning of sinful desires, this, the deeds of uncleanness, once those sinful desires have burned inside of you and you've fed them, then they express themselves in sensual acts. Now, whereas fornication deals with acts that could, in a normal circumstance between a man and a woman, produce children, uncleanness deals with any other gratification of the drives. And now, some of you aren't getting this, and you're like, good grief, why do we have to even talk about this? I'm sorry, someday it might be a help to you when you get a little older trying to be discreet in this, but any kind of sensual gratification of the drives. There is a teaching going around. By the way, we used the word marriage act earlier. I believe there's a book out that I think it might be by the LaHaye's, forgive me if I got it wrong, called the marriage act. It's a filthy piece of trash. It's pornographic material and it's being passed around in Christian churches and to Christian couples and they're being told to read it. You say, how do you know? Somebody gave it to me for a wedding present. That perverted piece of trash messed with my mind. I threw it out before I even finished it. And to this day, I've still got garbage in my mind from that piece of trash book that so-called Christians gave me. I'm sorry if you don't like that. Uncleanness is the unholy gratification of sensual drives in ways that God did not intend to be done. 
I'm going to be as blunt as I can and as clear as I can and as discreet as I can. The whole oral garbage, oral intercourse is uncleanness. Masturbation is uncleanness. You get into all this filth, all this sin, it's uncleanness. 2 Timothy 3 deals with it. It says that men will be lovers of themselves. And today you've got people who are doing things to their own bodies, all themselves, and it's filthiness and it's uncleanness. Chapter verse 3 talks about incontinent. People who cannot control their drives. They cannot control what goes out of their body. By the way, Leviticus talks about how that if a man in the army camp has um, seed of copulation go forth from him in the night. I understand that happens and it's not a great thing. It's not something I even want to talk about, but the Bible talks about it. And if that goes out of you in the night and he's unclean, he says the guy's got to leave the camp, wash everything he has, and not come back in until the morning. Now I want to ask you something. If you think what you're doing is clean, then how, how, how well would that work out for you if you had to go outside and sit in a desert by yourself all day every time you did it? You'd starve to death in America. You men, you call yourself men, you'd starve to death because you're nothing but slaves to your basal passions. Starve to death, sitting out in the desert, twiddling your thumbs. Romans 1, go there quickly. Romans 1, by the way, you think I'm too hard on that trash book. They get into stuff in there. I don't even want to bring it up. There's studies in there that, they, that Christians that call themselves psychologists, what an oxymoron, but Christians that call themselves psychologists get into these studies that were done. I hate to even mention it, but it bears mentioning, called the Kinsey Studies, and I don't even know much about them except stay away from that filth. All that garbage. There's not much more deeper pit of hell than that kind of garbage that was put on. I made this statement earlier. Sodomy in America didn't start in the closet. It started in the marriage bed. And I meant it. And it's true. (laughs) Uncleanness leads to sodomy. Most Christian marriage counseling is unclean and full of filthiness. Go to Romans chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts, and creeping things." Pay attention to verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To do filthy things by themselves and then get together in a group and do the filthy things in a group. And look what comes from it. And listen, this can't be more true. 
If you don't like it, you are standing against Almighty God with your hand up in his face saying, I don't want to hear it. Shut up. And that's what you are saying to God if you don't like this and you reject it because this is Bible. He says here, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And look what comes next. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient there are things I can't even say that are commonly accepted in the marriage bed that are wicked as hell He says here, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbatters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers, which is where all of this leads to the divorce rate in America is because primarily of uncleanness and because of fornication. Whenever people have been so broken and so perverted and so filthy for so long, they cannot be satisfied with God honoring marital intimacy. God have mercy on us. It says without natural affection. That's what that's talking about. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but have pleasure in them that do them. And you sit there and call yourself a Christian and watch the filthy sitcoms and the garbage of the world spewed out all over your television and all over your children and all over your home. And you call yourself a Christian. Shame on you. Let it not once be named among you. Be not partakers there with Um, with them in it god have mercy on us today we'll go on and study more of this lord willing tomorrow i hope that you will take this in the spirit that it is given not as one who is perfect or sinless far from it one who has sinned if nothing else in my heart i've sinned beyond any of the things that i ever thought that i would sin i am not anybody that's wholly apart from the spirit of god and the power of god and these are things that have to be conquered by the spirit of god if you're in programs and steps i'm telling you you're going the wrong way get on your face get your bible open read your bible and cry out to god until you have victory or you won't make it because someday your accountability partner is going to be sick someday your wife's not going to be home someday a wicked woman's going to show up at just the right place at right at the right time someday a wicked man's going to be there when you least expected it someday you're going to be dabbling in the edge of something you shouldn't be involved with just dabbling on the edge and the devil's going to grab you by the nose and pull you down into sin and you'll have things in your mind you wish you never had Flee immorality, the Bible says. One of the four things that the apostles commanded in Acts was that the Gentile church abstain from fornication. It says, keep yourselves from fornication. The Bible says, flee fornication. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.